Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Uh, this week we'll be talking about Season 2, Episode 16, Q-Who. Q-Who. <laughs> Q-Who. <laughs> <laughs> We're keeping that. Jean-Luc, Shorty Specs, Mysteries on the Holodex, Asteroids, Triple Droids, Telepathic Betazoids, Transporter, Deadly Claw, Visitor from L.A. Law, Photons, No Kirk, Captain Has Gone Berserk, Shuttlecraft, Council Troy, Dr. Crush's Little Boy, Klingon Rights, Parasites, New Heights, Phaser Fights, Data's Head, Tasha's Dead, Wyke is Hanging by a Thread, Celebration, Transformations, Everyone to Battle Stations! Joining us for this monumental episode in Star Trek history uh, is one of our favorite guests in the podcast history, Mr. Jacob Rosdale, from uh, many things on the internet, but also the film cast without a cause. Jacob, uh, thanks for joining us on the show. Oh, thanks for inviting me for Q-Hoo. Q-Hoo. Uh, <laughs> ever since I heard the which episode I was doing, it's been in my head like that, like, Q-Hoo, Q-Hoo, <laughs> Q-Hoo. And, and they missed a golden opportunity because this is one of the episodes where you will not hear the title of the episode in the episode although they do that occasionally um but yeah we we don't we don't have anybody say q who which uh <laughs> which might have added some levity uh to the episode i'm, I'm told hmm. you guys no longer do the worst or least favorite part of an episode at the end of the show and i just want to say my least favorite is the title like my okay. least favorite part is the title of this episode because it's stupid and has nothing yeah. to do with anything q, uh, q titles are always weird right well, they weird. always have Q in it, so you yeah. know Q's in it, you know, so because he was like maybe the most popular character at that point, I imagine. Uh, well, he was in the pilot, so. Uh, Certainly I, I, secondary maybe. character, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Returning guest villain, I suppose. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah 100%. Mm-hmm. Before, before the Borg. So they, you know, would want people to know this is the return of the epic, you know, guy from the very first episode. Uh, I, I'm assuming again. I, I'm not a, a writer or an expert on you know the TNG history, but this one like doesn't he, like Q who. It's not like people forget who he is. Uh, it has a question mark in it, like Q who. Mm, uh, yeah, well, at least in when I looked it up on IMDb, it did. But maybe on the or maybe Hulu had it. I think at, on the title card, it actually does not show a question. Oh, it just, okay. It just says yeah, yeah, Q yeah. Who. I'm looking at the title card. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll blame Hulu. Hulu. Take, take that, Thanks. Hulu. <laughs> With Hulu? <laughs> Hulu. But yeah, that was just my... And I just, like, like I'm sure that the writer ro- writer's room... Or was, was there even a writer's room, or was it all just individual solicitations? I mean, at, at this, this point, point, yeah, what's weird is, like, the, the writing at this period in Star Trek history is pretty chaotic, because it is... This is the infamous writer's strike season, and so, mm. you know, a lot of these... A lot of these episodes are coming from all different directions. Some of them are fan submissions because they just don't have any other scripts to work with. This one actually has a long tail on it. Um, This Mm. episode uh, was actually planned at the tail end of season one. So Maurice Hurley, as the showrunner at this point, had always intended this episode to, to be much more close to the season finale of season one. In fact... Uh, I think in its original form, this was one of the episodes that was going to follow. There was going to be like a a trio of episodes, Mm -hmm. almost forming like a mini arc. Um, Mm. Because if you remember at the end, and and Jacob, you may not, but uh, season one ends with a confrontation with the Romulans. Um, on the neutral zone, and and there is uh, there's all these bases on either side of the neutral zone, which have basically been kind of dissected and blown apart, like mm. the entire it, base yeah. was lifted out of the ground. They make a callback to that episode in this yeah. episode. Yep. 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 I was going to ask if that actually had happened in an episode that you guys saw recently that I had missed. So I'm glad you addressed that head on. Yep. That this isn't this is our first Borg appearance. But yes. it was he- teased earlier. So they were actually doing some serialization stuff, which you don't associate with Trek, really. No. Uh, and leading p- up to this. Mm-hmm. And particularly yeah, this is really at this the point. the first of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, 
the, this is the first episode that ends and isn't wrapped up in a pretty little package, right? right? Yeah, and that yeah. feels very different. Um, it feels very refreshing um, to not have the ship fly away at the end and have every problem solved. Right. Yeah. This one. Um, it, this one feels like there's a lot of weight to it, and I think, uh, at least from my perspective, and I think that's probably it's benefiting from two different things. One, Q has history with this crew, and so they're able to really draw from that. In fact, when um, uh, when they first all get together in 10 Forward, um, after Q's initial reveal, after he abducts Captain Picard on the shuttlecraft, which I thought was a really, actually kind of a clever way to reveal Q. Yep. Um, they bebop back to the ship, and um, they immediately kind of riff on, you know, their last couple of encounters with Q. They talk about the pilot episode where he puts humanity on trial. They talk about um, the episode where Riker was offered Q powers and ultimately turned them down. Um, so that seems kind of interesting. And then the callback to the, the Romulan neutral zone, it feels like <clears throat> this is one of those few episodes that it feels like we do actually have a universe that there's a lot of stuff going on and, and that there's, yep. there's things that we've seen that are now like, oh, that's that thing, um, which we don't get a lot of up to, up to this point. But, um, so what did you guys think of, <laughs> I'll back up way back to the beginning <laughs> of the episode. The big introduction. <laughs> of Sonia Gomez? Of Ensign Sonia Gomez, yes. <laughs> um, that's how they start this episode. I mean, that's, that's where we begin. It, yeah, it, it feels like a cold open almost, but it, it, it has a fun feel to it. Right? It, it, it certainly feels like a throwaway scene, um, but it doesn't feel like they're trying to put it in there and make it seem like more than that, um, which strangely works here, I think. Um, what did you guys think? Well, I thought, like, and again, you guys can tell me if she sh becomes a bigger thing. It, it's more in your, you know, knowledge base. But it seemed like they were definitely setting her up. I know this is early on in the run, so they're throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. Mm -hmm. It definitely felt like the introducing a new regular, since we learned her name, get a, a meet cute a little bit with Picard. They're like, oh, she's a klutz. Uh, find out her specialties. Uh, do we even see Sonia? And I, she doesn't get a payoff for, for a while. It's been a while since I had seen this episode. So I assumed, like, does she get turned into a Borg? Uh, does she become a Q? Like, I was waiting for it to pay off in the episode. And Yeah, I, I was starting to wonder if she was there in order to have a meaningful, or even a, you know, a, a named death, basically. I was really starting to get worried that, like, she was being set up to be one of the 18 people who are killed in this episode. Um, and uh, Memory Alpha says she's in the next episode, Smyrna and Snare, so um, she was not. Um, but it seems like that's the um, that's the arc of her career. Yeah. <laughs> this episode yeah. and then Smyrna and Snare. So um, Memory Alpha has it listed that um, she was originally intended to be a recurring character. She gets two appearances and that's it. Um, it was actually a, a intended that she was supposed to be a recurring uh, character, but also a love interest eventually for Jordy. Hmm. Um, but but that was it. Samaritan Snare, we get to see her again, and then that's it. Sonia Gomez probably got transferred as soon as Picard realized he couldn't get the coffee stains <laughs> out of his uh, out of his suit. I guess. <laughs> Piping hot chocolate, by the way, just, oh, yeah. just goes on to him, and he's he's totally unfazed. That's a that's a big move like that's a that's a solid captain right there you yeah just take it yes ensign it. yes ensign it's all <laughs> over me yeah <laughs> pretty pretty good yeah, um, meanwhile yeah second degree burns under the uniform probably <laughs> throughout the entirety of the episode q washed his uniform but he did nothing for the second degree burns no. um, <laughs> <laughs> well so um that 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 scene between uh stood out for me from a cinematography standpoint they i don't know if you guys noticed this the camera work where they had it following picard walking down the hallway but from mm. lower lower than normal height is something they've not done before um, and not had that sort of um, just that shot. It seemed like a really fresh shot so far in the second season. Um, and it was only that one brief scene, but it feels like they're starting to think outside the box in terms of how to shoot a scene, not just stationary cameras, shoulder height. Um, and we've seen creative stuff in a few places, but this one stood out. I, you know? 
Yeah, I feel like that um, also did a good job of drawing your attention to the screen for something that's normally just pretty mundane. You know, somebody mm -hmm. walking down a corridor. Yep. Um, so that the reveal of the turbo lift opening into the shuttlecraft um, mm. is, is I think, more jarring. And, yep. you know, there's there's Q. And I do love how Picard walks in and, you know, he, again, he's unfazed, but he walks out of the turbo lift into the shuttlecraft and then just immediately assumes, oh, well, I'm in a shuttlecraft, so there must be a crewman here piloting. He's like, crewman, you <laughs> yeah, know? Like, yep, yep. <laughs> I'm just like, he's, he's just not phased by anything. Hot chocolate gets thrown at him, nothing. You know, he's magically <laughs> in a shuttlecraft. Crewman, where are we? And then, haha, there's Q. Um, it did stand out to me in the credits that this episode was directed by Rob Bowman, who is a name you see in a lot of TV credits, but he's also gone on to make feature films he directed the good x-files movie uh, fight the future and uh. also the uh, matthew mcconaughey dragon movie ring of fire among other things so every time i see his name in the credits i'm like oh yeah this is probably going to be a solidly directed piece of television yeah and he... I, i'm guessing he did some trek i know he did a lot of x-files he did a lot of trek um actually pretty early oh, wow. on he did where no one has gone before uh-huh uh-huh yeah he's done a lot of the What's interesting is a lot of the... He, he doesn't do a lot after this. He only does like three more episodes, I believe, after this. Um, but a lot of the episodes that we've seen that are actually really interesting out of season one or two, yeah, um, yeah. he has huh. a hand in. Um, hmm. Elementary Dear Data with um, the, the Sherlock Holmes on the holodeck one. Uh, the premiere of season two was a little... Eh. Um, but the Klingon episode that was really good from season one, Heart of Glory. So he's got... Um, He's got a hand in a lot of the episodes that we've seen so far that were good, you know, and not a lot of the clunkers. So this must be, uh, he must have had a pedigree up to this point where they knew if they bring him in, mm. they got a heavy hitter here. You know what other good episode he did? Hmm. Too short a season. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Let's, uh, moving right along on, uh, on that. Um, so we get, uh, we get some good Picard and Q stuff, uh, and, and, I do like how long they imply that Picard holds out <laughs> against Q. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> they're searching for him for like six hours, and then they just keep cutting back to the shuttle. Well, yeah, they covered the entirety <laughs> of the search area, and then they're like, well, now what? <laughs> like, well, yeah. make the search area bigger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Q is starting to display some boredom, all right? He's, he's uh, playing catch, <laughs> and then it's like, yeah, this this does feel like they've been out there a while. Yep. And uh, eventually, uh, they they agree to some kind of terms. I, I'd like the director's cut that's some more of those six hours of them awkwardly in the shuttle, but <laughs> I guess we won't get those. Um, and then that's where we wind up in, in 10 Forward, and the show really kind of gets uh, off and running. A lot of the stuff in this episode struck me because it is, it is canonically correct. Um, Guinan's history with Q... Uh, is a thing that persists. Uh, Guinan's history with the Borg uh, is indeed expanded upon. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, also a thing that they, they kind of keep up. So they not only pay off some of the few things that they plant seeds for, you know, in, in the past, but they also kind of successfully plant a few seeds here that, uh, well, more than a few, but they, they do stay consistent with pretty much everything we see on screen in this episode, Question. I thought. Yeah. Have we seen Guinan since the child? We've seen her three other times since the child. We saw her in Outrageous Okana. Uh, mm, okay, she was that, in that Measure one. of a Man. Okay, that... um, oh, Measure of a Man. Okay, she okay, has the that's really important. good conversation yeah, 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 yeah. with Picard. That is okay. Good point. Good yep. point. And then I forgot about that one. She was in the Dauphin, uh, giving West some uh, some pointers, I guess. Oh, because her and Riker. Yep. 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 Yeah. So we, we have seen her. Okay, so we have seen her, but it's not been this much. Right. Well, and this okay. is, I mean, this is a lot of Guinan. So much so that I, I appreciate that Guinan called the bridge. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys, everything okay? You know, that's that's <laughs> what kind of kicked off the search. <laughs> As it turns out, no. Um, what, but, and then... With Guinan actually kind of as, like almost serves as a counselor, right? Like like a like or like a guide, um, because she's literally the only person who knows anything other than Q, and Q's doing his his Q thing, and he he pieces out, you know. Um, so the middle part of this episode, I feel like, is all introduction, um, some exposition, 
Um, what did you guys think of the reveal of the actual Borg? Like, what did you guys think of them first seeing the cube, first seeing the drone, first, you know, coming face to face? You know, you, this episode, you know, I think it's a solid episode in the canon, you know, where it, you know, because clearly the Borg are awesome and it's leading to that, you know, great cliffhanger, you know, great cliffhanger two-part episode mm-hmm. and, you know, all the fil- episodes since. But this episode itself is pretty slight. I think you could explain it in like a one-sentence thing, like uh, about Q being bored or wanting to impress the Enterprise or wants wanting to warn the Enterprise about the dangers throughout the galaxy introduces the um, introduces the ship to the advanced race the Borg and that and they where they get chased and whatnot we there's not like a lot of plot for per se so the the coolness or how good the episode is is dependent on how good of a strong first impression the Borg make and there's a lot of things that could go wrong when you're hyping it up with that guy didn't talk about these are the people that you know destroyed my you know race essentially uh i might be paraphrasing or overselling it uh but the the fact that the borg are just really cool (laughs) make this episode uh pretty i mean make it makes it stand out like the the design of the ship just being the cube is unlike anything i mean Mm -hmm. we've probably seen solid shapes before in like original trek but it's mainly because of bad design <laughs> not right. yeah it was usually shouldn't... smooth shapes because of bad design and it was just lights and weird things under blankets but it, yeah it, it's hard to parse out what this would have been like if you didn't know what the q or what the the borg were right because I, I, I never don't... came back to them it would be totally oh yeah oh that would pointless be pointless episode yeah yeah mm-hmm. I, but i think i don't think this is the first place I saw the Borg. I don't think I saw the series the first time through in proper sequence. Um, So I'm not sure what this impact would have been without all the things that I'm carrying from all the things I know about the Borg later. I I see a cube on there and it's like, oh man, okay, it's a cube. Um, Or you see that first Borg and you're like, oh, this is, yeah, this is the... this is the Borg. This is exactly what they look like for the rest of the series, for several other series. Um, there's just so much wrapped up in it that, it, yeah, it would be really interesting to get a feel for what this would be like to someone who had not seen the Borg yet. Or to grab the Men in Black, you know, memory flashy thingy and just uh, knock out your mm. experience with the Borg. And the, but we I have that from like two episodes ago, don't we? We do, yeah. We'll just pull that back out. <laughs> Um, I feel like, uh, you know, I tried to think about that too, um, Paul, because you're right. I, I don't believe I saw this episode. I don't think this was my introduction to the Borg. Um, but I feel like what this episode gets right is um, that sense of foreboding just in the air, and it manages to maintain it. I think, Jacob, your point to, you know, there's a real danger that they could have oversold this, right? That like mm-hmm. had had Guinan said, oh man, these guys are for real. They they wrecked you know everything. You know they destroyed our planets, our civilization. She basically says something to the effect of, they moved in, and by the time they had moved out, there was little or nothing left of my people. Um, I mean that that's that spells it out right there. Your you your mind can then go, holy cow, what what are these guys all about? And, and I feel like because this episode is paced the way that it is which is you know they don't they don't hit the gas pedal and just stomp on it it's a it's a real you know they're very meticulous and they even you know spell that out basically right they they talk about how you know the borg don't come at you piecemeal when they're ready to come they'll come you know and then and then they do you know i mean basically the I think the scene in engineering was really effective because that was just one drone and then another drone. But the second yeah. drone showed up, and if that drone hadn't decided to leave and Q hadn't intervened, I mean, they could have been screwed right there, right? And that was just one of those little guys. Yeah. And this is not the most powerful creature they've come across, right? By, by all means, um, Q might be. But mm-hmm. they run across powerful creatures all the time. They run across weird wormholes in space that try to suck them in. Mm-hmm. They run into Tar Dude and all these crazy, um, oh, uh, Nagilum, uh, all these crazy things in space. But at the end of the episode, it's always like, well, we dealt with that, and well, we'll probably never see that thing bef- again, or we destroyed that thing, or we solved that problem. And to have something that's out there that they don't, they don't solve, <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. just that's now a ticking clock. 
They're out there. They know we're we're out here, and they're coming. Right? That's that's big for such a powerful um, for such a powerful species. Right? Yeah. <laughs> There's other species they've introduced, like the Ferengi, that are still out there, presumably, but. Um, Nobody cares about them. Yeah, you're not scared by that. You're not <laughs> yeah. scared by that because they didn't they didn't present them well. Well, and I feel like too the the questions that they answer are really uh, interesting because you know you know just enough about them to be scared, but then the questions that they don't answer are also the ones that that leave tension there, right? Because at the end of this episode, they have confirmed that the Borg were responsible for uh, bases being destroyed at the neutral zone of the Federation. Yeah, yeah. So not only are they, you know, out there, we don't know how many there are or where they are right now or, you know, I mean, they're, they really kind of leave that hanging that, like, you know, you better be ready for them and you don't know when you're going to see them again. Like, there's a very strong implication that, like, they could be here tomorrow. They could be here, you know, next week. You know, I mean, it's just... And I feel like putting Q in this episode kind of makes it work because this is the only way you can you can present the Borg with all of their raw power and really have them legitimately overpower the ship and then still get the Enterprise out of there without knowing how oh, to yeah, without some sort of magic situation right yeah 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 because nothing that they do seems unbelievable if you're right if they ran into them in space and they had to get away from them they would do something crazy with the warp core or something and it'd be mm-hmm. a whole bunch of hand waving stuff and they'd escape and yeah this one they don't have any solutions <laughs> they don't yeah. make any ground um they just they they tell cube hey we're done take us home Yep. Effectively. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about like the Borg and, and because this is um, this episode, you know, when you first reveal a new threat or a new uh, a new really a new civilization, um, a lot of what you first see is really important because that's you're going to build off of that. But but you can't really redo it. And we've, you know, Paul, you brought up the Ferengi as an example. Mm-hmm. I think the Ferengi is a famous example of them getting it wrong, you know, where where they showed the Ferengi, they introduced what they were all about, and none of it really worked. Um, do you guys feel, wh- what did you take away from this, and what did you feel was, like, made a difference about the Borg? Like, what do you, what do you think this episode either did right or didn't do right about when we first meet them, when we first see the Borg? Well, I think it's, the Borg are cool because they're different than a lot of any other alien race. I mean, I you can correct me, of course, that we've seen on Trek for the most part. It's it, mm-hmm. They are this whole cyberpunk thing and mm-hmm. that they are adaptive. You know, they take other alien races and absorb them into themselves. So I imagine if it, they were to bring the Borg back in the new film series or in the new TV series, they would have more... Borg diversity, like you would see a Frangie Borg and whatnot. We see a lot of human Borg. Uh, Essentially, every Borg we see in this episode is human, but they still looked, I mean, it still looks like 90s, you know, production values or whatever, but still, I mean, pretty scary. Mm -hmm. Uh, And How about that Borg baby, though? Yeah. (laughs) Is that (laughs) canonical? Like, is the Borg nursery canonical? (laughs) I was wondering about that. I I mean, so that was one thing um, I was I was at least under the impression that they didn't um, reproduce. They just assimilated new um, new uh, drones. Yeah. But that uh, that could have also just been a maturation chamber, and they just uh, abducted a whole bunch of babies. Right. It could so have been a baby planet. Riker, yeah. Yeah. There's easy ways out of that one. <laughs> yeah. They could have just attacked the baby planet. Um, Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, Riker could very easily be confused there um, because mm. he's, he has, there's easy ways out of that canonically. Right. Um, right. Yeah. They, they essentially, um, you're correct, Paul, that, that like um, what they establish later is that the Borg do not really, you know, procreate on their own. If there's one problem that I have about this episode, it is that the very concept of, of like assimilation is not really discussed. Yeah. That's not in here. Well, and, and it wouldn't be. Right, because they're not starting to assimilate this crew. They're not right. going to start capturing people because they're just scouting. Um, and and without showing that, there's no way to really talk about that. 
Right. Because presumably that happened to a lot of Guinan's race. Right. Um, but those people weren't there to, to talk about it. <laughs> right. Because those people all got assimilated and now they're drones. Um, yeah. But I get where birds is coming from because that's like the scariest thing about them. Like you become them. So sure. with, yeah. without that, without bringing in that insight, you know, that knowledge, they are just a like a robot race that's really fast. Like, and I could see them being one-off villains in that context and mm-hmm. not being as scary. They're just mm-hmm. unstoppable robot aliens. Right. Um, and that makes it less cool. But yeah. thankfully, you know, this is more of a prequel to like mm-hmm. bigger, better stuff than, you know, the one, the ultimate Borg story. They yeah. don't, um, they don't say resistance is, is futile either in this one. No, they don't. Um, no. Not in those words. They say like. Give in or you'll be punished or something. Yeah, the direct quote here, it's very interesting. Uh, We have analyzed your defensive capabilities as being unable to withstand us. If you defend yourselves, you will be punished. Um, (laughs) Resistance is futile is so much cleaner. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yep, yep. And and I think think in a lot of ways then that's why this episode, um, I think it ultimately it really works, but it is kind of more of a teaser, right? I mean, it's really... Oh, sure. This is all exposition. Yeah, um... We're kind of we're kind of getting some of this, you know, just to to have the threat out there, so that the next time when we see them, the the proper reaction is, oh crap, you know, <laughs> like that's, mm-hmm. oh this is this is going down, like this is this is going to be real. Because in a lesser episode, you could have done like if they had had the assimilation thing down, if they knew that was a thing, they could have had uh, Sonia, you know, get assimilated, and then by the end <laughs> yeah. of the episode, by the end of the episode, because that's how Trek episodes work, cure her. And mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. that cliffhanger wouldn't work uh, later yeah. on with uh, Best of Both Worlds. That's true. So it's almost good that this is slight in that sense for the long game. As an episode, right. you know, maybe not, but uh, uh, it, it worked out for him. So I'm more forgiving. Well, <laughs> it's interesting also to think about, so I'm, I'm sure you've read up on this too, but um, that this was originally pitched as an insectoid race, right? Yeah. That um, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. original... The original thing that um, it was, yeah, Maurice Hurley writing this, right? That he wanted a race of insectoids. And that's where it would seem that's where the hive mind concept comes from. Um, That there's this insectoid race that has a hive mind and that stayed. um, But that was too hard budget wise (laughs) um, to do. And then they did this. They they kind of merged that in and had these these cyborgs. Um, It's also interesting. The only real enemy of the Borg, jumping all the way to Voyager, is is broadly an insectoid race. Hmm. Yeah. I, which, <laughs> yeah. Um, they, I wonder they, if that's accidental. Are they insects, though? I mean, I don't think like we're, uh, we're they kinda... look they look somewhat like it. I guess, right? kind of. Yeah. I'll 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 allow it. I'm, uh, I'm I guess. image. <laughs> <laughs> they. Yeah, that's that's insectoid. That's okay. insectoid. All right. Right. Uh, you know, uh, as always, eight four seven two. You can yeah. tweet at us or, or find us on Facebook if you agree with Paul that they're that species eight four seven two are giant bugs. Just Google species eight four seven two and let us know what you think. Um, <laughs> I I think I, I think this is really an example of because um, ultimately it was budget constraints that, that yeah, prevented that, the Borg from being bugs. <laughs> um, because the, well, I mean, think about doing that, right? Think about doing that in that time would have been. Oh yeah. They either would have had to CGI it or the costuming <laughs> would have been either really expensive or really bad, right? Mm-hmm. We would have been in a, a bear people, uh, lizard people situation. <laughs> well, I, I want to th- point this out because this could be one of the most important budgetary constraints in science fiction or at least in, in Trek history because... Uh, I ultimately think robo zombies are scarier than just bugs. Sure. Oh yeah. But also, had they been bugs, you would have robbed Jane and John every fan the opportunity to cosplay uh, a Borg at their favorite convention <laughs> yeah. by just breaking apart their vacuum cleaner. Like, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, have you seen? So that's all you got to do. I assume we're all on memory alpha, including our listeners. But uh-huh. have you seen some of this uh, preliminary concept art? Like, this stuff is awesome. <laughs> the original drawings they have, um, particularly this one by David Fisher, um, just this original concept art they came up with looks amazing for the Borg. And they, they stuck with it. And that's it seems like largely where this, um, this worked. Because yeah. they had some people doing some really high-end 
concept art. I think, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of amazingly faithful. If you go to Memory Alpha and find the QHU um, episode oh, link, QHU, okay. um, uh, you'll find <laughs> uh, you'll find this concept art. And I would say, yeah, you know, you're you're right, Paul, that this, if particularly the David Fisher one, it looks like Man, this drawing yeah. kind of walked right off the page. Like they they yeah, did. Like just, I want that one. That's I want that. It's pretty good. <laughs> just. <laughs> And even the storyboards—that's oh, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> even the storyboards for uh, the cube and meeting the cube and the cube in perspective against the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. Um, like it, it feels like they had a very, uh, a very well thought out visual direction that they wanted to take this episode to convey that sense of foreboding. And I think they they got a lot of that right too, um, including I think uh, the the Enterprise. I think just being dwarfed by that cube and I kind of want to talk about you know um, the sense of scale in this episode because I got that like I, I thought they did a really nice job of making this cube seem huge that the Borg seem like I like the idea too that they couldn't even put a number on how many drones were in the, sh- in the ship right because they couldn't they, their sensors weren't even calibrated correctly to detect individual Borg because they all just were basically networked together um so I, I feel like a lot of this, everything just felt so big. And, and I think the one thing that they got right that they don't do very often is they made the Enterprise, which has a thousand people on it, seem small, you know, in mm-hmm. comparison. Seem small and unable to really do much, you know, um, against... against. And the, the idea that that ship should not work <laughs> by, you know, as far as physics go. You know, it shouldn't be that right. fast. It's just, it's a big wind block. Well, in space, there's not a wind block, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe I don't, maybe I'm not the one to speak about physics, let's say, but it looks like it shouldn't work. <laughs> we could have a, a physics moment that um, you still would largely want to be aerodynamic to, you know, asteroids and micro asteroids and stuff like that that you might be able to deflect you're right that you're basically taking a windshield um and and you're going to catch a lot more insects um <laughs> but but from a propulsion standpoint and especially with board propulsion um that's not the problem okay but still Consider not me the, learned now <laughs> um the, the, but the big question it does paint a good picture right that they talk about um there's no bridge there's no uh crew quarters there's no engineering that this isn't a ship like we know ships mm-hmm. uh the the way that they put together their ships is different the way they accelerate their ships and um the way they fight the way they they do everything is different alien right yeah. and then that's that's a that's painted well here at um, one point uh Riker says they're carving us up like a roast which I yep. thought, <laughs> I mean, I, for for one, I was like, okay, I guess. But I mean, it it is true that they, um, you know, they don't really like. I, I like the fact that they don't talk about it, but they effectively take a core sample of the ship. Yep. Right. Yep. That they just and like, get away with it. Yeah. Right? That they have that at the end. They have eighteen crew members who probably were killed instantly, and then a whole section of the ship that they can just pick apart, you know, and try to to try to figure it out. And they do paint a good picture that they're not really interested in the crew at this point. They're right. really more interested in the ship because mm-hmm. the ship is the technology. The crew is just the crew. And they've run into humans before, especially if, if they've attacked these places along the neutral zone. Um, they would need them to create more drones, but that's not really a high priority yeah. um, from a Borg standpoint. So. Well, and they get away with... Um, I, I think what's what's kind of so neat about this is that, you know, really bad episodes the more you think about them the more things kind of fall apart um i i I would like to present this as an example of a really good episode because i think the more that i think about this and the more that i think about this encounter with the borg then the next encounter with the borg which is you know we'll get there in about a season which is one of the most iconic star trek episodes i could probably say of all time um a lot of it works because the more i think about this the more i start to interconnect um, the pieces with this encounter with the Borg versus the next encounter with the Borg, right? That that um, the first ship that they meet, that, that the Borg meet from the Federation is not some dinky science vessel. It's not some, you know, weird cargo freighter. It's the flagship of the Federation, which has some of the best technology, some of the best, you know, weaponry, some of the best, you know, propulsion. Um, and they got a piece of it, right? So the next time we meet them, 
they overpower the Federation even more handily, I think, than they do in this encounter, right? Because the, the Enterprise doesn't put up much resistance, but they put up a little bit. Um, the next time we meet them, they're basically just kind of stomp through wherever they want to go. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like this episode does a really nice job of saying, like, <laughs> look, the, the Borg were already ready for you, but now they know your ship inside and out. They know your ship, and then they they do some other things in that episode that I won't spoil that give them even more inside information. And it's just, it kind of, I, I like this episode as really laying the groundwork of the Borg are that threat that will just take you piece by piece um, yep. until there's nothing left, um, which I think is thematic throughout the series. Um, so this episode, it was a stated objective of this episode that this was to be an introduction to the Borg. Um, and I believe Rick Berman was the one who was on record as saying they wanted this episode to succeed where the introduction of the Ferengi failed. Um, and if that's a thesis statement, right, uh, let's rate it. I mean, how do you, how do you think they did compare this to, you know, other introductions of, of, a threat you know did they did they do it did they get it right i'm trying to think of another threat that compares across any well so the only threat i could think of that would compare across any of the star trek series um would would probably be the dominion Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um yeah and and i think that's done well but this is also done well um, certainly, if we're rating it against the Ferengi, that's just—I <laughs> um, mean, it's laughable, right? right. Um, and everybody else has been one-offs. Um, keep thinking of like Tardude and Nagilum and uh, that guy on a bridge. That uh, oh, what was his name? Like something in a number. <laughs> He was in the Ferengi episode. The only other one I can think of is, and it's funny that he's in this episode, but I can think of Q. I mean, Q's another one. Well, where, Q, sure. Yeah. yeah. But Q was introduced in a weird way. Right. right? That first episode is not... It's strange. It's, <laughs> <laughs> um, that one. That one's weird. Yeah. Um, this yeah. one's much cleaner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've, they've already sort of figured out Q uh, in, in a pretty good way. In the yeah. sense that it makes you want to watch or see them again... It does a great job. I'd be very curious to your listener, what your listeners who are going through Trek, I'd be very surprised if none had ever not, you know, had never heard of the Borg and are willing to give Star Trek a listen. But if anybody is, you know, uh, going through it cold and like what their impressions were, I hope they give you some feedback on that because, yeah, it's really hard to separate it because usually if they're trying to establish a big threat, the thing to do is have them beat up Worf or right. in, in in comics terms, whenever you have someone beat up the Juggernaut, uh, in in the Marvel universe, that's supposed to be the next big threat <laughs> yep. because the the Juggernaut is unstoppable. So the Juggernaut keeps getting found. Oh no, someone beat up the Juggernaut. Who could it be? And it's onslaught or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and usually it's very disappointing. And uh, they don't do that. They don't beat up Warp. They do. I mean, it's much more mysterious. And you have this god telling him you need to be afraid and that's the whole point of the episode is that there's stuff in this universe that you are not prepared for yet you're you're going here very stridently and uh you should be afraid be very afraid well they have they have wharf in there too they have picard tells wharf to stop this thing with whatever's necessary and (laughs) wharf uses the phaser uses it again stops the first one and then he comes back and it's like well I guess that's you're all right. I can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's like that was 100, percent and <laughs> yeah. uh, that's not working. Well, I'd so also I'm... like to point out that Worf uh, delegates at one point. Do you guys remember that? Where the second drone shows <laughs> yeah. up, and then he's all like, "Mr. Worf," and Mr. Worf's like, "Yellow shirt," and Yellow shirt steps <laughs> yeah. forward and gets just, just, I mean, shredded. Yeah, that's Dude right. Just gets like. <laughs> <laughs> he gets th- he gets backhanded by the drone, flies across engineering, hits a bulkhead, and grabs his chest where he was struck, <laughs> almost indicating that he hit him so hard he must have cracked a rib or something. And it's like, I thought that was such a weird choice because it's like you could have had Worf's stunt double do that, but Worf was just like, nope, I got I got somebody for that. I got a guy. Yep. <laughs> it's <was> so weird. <laughs> um. I had forgotten oh. about that. Sorry. He, <laughs> yeah, Worf also gets beaten up or gets uh, by uh, proxy. Shown, shown up. Yeah, by proxy. <laughs> by proxy. Yeah. Um, Jacob, you had mentioned this that uh, that that it was. I mean, it is basically 
yeah, Q saying, be afraid, uh, be very afraid. And I think that's that's kind of, that's ultimately the core. What, what did you guys think of the premise that, that Q asserted that's basically, uh, they're arrogant? Because I, I hadn't really thought about it before, but they, you know, I could see where that could be a pull here, right? Because Picard basically says, no, we're ready. We're totally ready. Like, we're ready for whatever. Do you guys, did you guys read that as, you know, maybe they did need some humble pie? I think it's the only meat there is to the episode thematically i suppose is uh in a show about exploration to not uh be arrogant you know it's not it's not as deep as measure of a man or anything like that that's where i'm saying it's pretty slight as far right. as you know actual content you know goes uh but I, I think Q delivers the lines well. I mean, it's still, like, at the end of the episode, I'm like, that was a lot of just cause. Like, just Q doing it just because he can. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. And Well, do I remember la- that you were on the last time we saw Q in, on Hiding Q? Yes, yes. I've yes, been and, lucky and, enough to okay, be a and, returning Qster. And nice. so last time you brought up the idea that, that he was very um, Mr. Mizoplik, or however you pronounce yeah, that. Yeah, Mixelpitalik um, is what I, how I pronounce it. Um, <laughs> that... that and that, that still sort of holds here because ostensibly he starts the episode saying, I'm bored. Let me join your crew. I'll be so great. And then by the end, he's kind of like, well, I'm doing this thing now. And aren't you scared now? And he sort of is absent-minded in, in, in certain ways. Um, he's not really pushing to be part of the crew anymore at the end. He just is kind of yeah. like, well, I did that. <laughs> See you later. Yeah, and, and ain't I a stinker? Yeah, that's basically yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> the the thing that I was trying to figure out is, did he? I mean, it, it. They don't portray it as him coming to the ship to do this, and was it literally just a whim that Picard was like, "No, man, we we can handle stuff. We're fine." You know, do you think it was that 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 led him to be like, "Oh yeah, check this out," or did he actually want to warn them about the Borg specifically? Because I couldn't figure that out. See, I, I guess, uh, boy, yeah, my take would be that it was all um, reactionary, that he was there to do this one thing, and then when Picard said no, he was like, well, <laughs> let's see about this, and then just knows about things that they don't, so pulled in a thing that he knows that they don't, yeah. um, as a, a sort of, um, as evidence, broadly. But I that would be... Could, yeah, oh, Sorry. I don't yeah, see it, it could be an actual warning since he was very well ready to let them die if you know Picard hadn't eaten his humble pie. <laughs> yeah, and that's like, true. Q, save us, Q, uh, or whatever. He wasn't like that dramatic, but uh, yeah, I, I, I can't see, think that he did it out of the goodness of his heart. It was more of a just jerking him around. Yeah, yeah. You, I, um, I do like that very last bit with Picard on the bridge. Um, mm. Where he basically he does he, he 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 does you know humble himself to Q, and you know he says you you wanted us to admit you know we weren't prepared for the moment I'll grant that you know you wanted us frightened we're frightened you know I, I mean basically like that it it I thought that had a lot of gravitas coming out of Picard especially you know the beginning of this episode where we're you know we were kind of joking about it but he was being painted as pretty pretty steel right like he was just <laughs> that's the captain he's 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 uh he's like iron you know and then at the end of the episode man we're scared okay mm-hmm. so please end this oh the um, hot chocolate makes so much sense now you put it that way that's right it was it was <laughs> it's just a seed there they planted it <laughs> so I mean, there's a lot more we could go into, but I, I feel like we've covered a lot of the stuff that, that matters. I don't know if you guys have anything particularly you wanted to, to bring up before we kind of get to the end here, where we where we talk about what we what we think of this episode overall, whether or not we'll we'll recommend it or not. I have a I have a weird confession that I think is going to lose me some uh, nerd points. <laughs> um, Prepare thyself, internet. <laughs> so it's one of those things like you know you hear a word for so long and you never really stop to think about that word uh-huh. um it was a few months ago and uh it was listening to a different podcast um the adventure zone if either you listen to the adventure zone uh very good podcast um i would imagine that all our listeners already listen to the adventure zone <laughs> given those venn diagrams but um <laughs> they were talking about um one of the characters who had lost their arm and has a a tree arm now and that he would be a tree borg and something wow. just clicked <laughs> that like 
tree borg, cyborg, borg, like, you know, it's just running through your head and you're like, oh man, the borg are called the borg because they're cyborgs. Yep. And that, that dawned on me literally a few months ago. <laughs> <laughs> it was there the whole time and just, um, uh, yep. But it is, yeah, it's one of those things I just grew up watching this before I really knew what a cyborg was. Um, and I mean, I, I clearly know what a cyborg is and have for a very long time, but I just knew the Borg as the Borg and I didn't mm -hmm. give it a second thought. I just, that was just their name. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting how some of those, those things will, uh, will do that. But there's also an interesting thing here about how the Federation sort of thinks about cyborgs and how Star Trek broadly deals with cyborgs because this is about it. Um, unless you start to count things like Geordi or um, Picard's uh, Picard's mechanical heart or I guess artificial heart um, that will come up in the next episode. Um, how they deal with this sort of cyborg enhancement is really pretty all or none. Yeah, you you um, I took a uh, a humanities course um, in college that was actually future focused, and so it was talk. It was largely a thought experiment about you know what what society will be like um, in the future and impacts of technology going forward. And I'll never forget when the professor of that class mentioned that, you know, Star Trek's great and all until you consider the fact that humans hundreds of years in the future are still human. And I, I kind of went, huh? Um, <laughs> because Star Trek does have a very absolutist take on humanity that, you know, humans are humans and should stay humans because they also, you know, they paint a very dim view of, of cybernetic enhancements, which you yeah. just pointed out, Paul. But they also, through, you know, superhumans and Khan Noonien Singh and, and all of that stuff, they also uh, really cut off the any benefits or, or consideration of genetic manipulation. Um, yeah, on natural selection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and both of those avenues, uh, their absolutist approach on that is... is kind of hard to find credible now um you know i i think in in even as late as the late 80s and even 90s when when trek was at its peak i think that stuff you know made more sense but it's very difficult to reconcile the technological world that star trek inhabits and the fact that all humans are just plain old humans you know well and and to a large degree you could start to make the same case that picard made in the last episode that um, why is a human heart being replaced with, with cybernetic components okay? Why is um, it okay to replace Geordi's sight with cybernetic components? Where, mm. where is the line? If, if someone loses an arm, can we replace that with a cybernetic component? Um, if someone loses you know, most of their body, can we replace that? What, what becomes the line there? Yeah. Where now you are not human. Uh, and that's a, that's a very deep take that they never really... Uh, they get into it quite a bit later, but I could see how you couldn't really wrap that in a single episode yet. Yeah. Is it um, is it in Measure of a Man where I think Data maybe makes the comparison that, you know, yeah, Lieutenant LaForge's... closest. Yeah, Lieutenant LaForge's eyes are far superior to human eyes in yeah. most respects, so why not just have everybody outfitted with those? And, like, that's a fascinating question <laughs> that they just kind of, like, skirt right around <laughs> because yep. it's making a point. He's making a point <laughs> yeah, about something they else. Because can't talk about it, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, well, but, and they also... Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, as soon as you... Yeah, when you crack that question open, uh, that is the deepest pool, right? Like, that just yep. goes down <laughs> forever. <laughs> well, and they talk... I forget who is giving the line. It might be Riker when he's on the ship. Um, might have, might be data actually even, but they say that they're linking AI with um, with biological components, which is maybe the one stumble of when they start talking about the Borg in this episode that that doesn't really get carried on because um, it's at least my understanding that the Borg are just cybernetically enhanced. They they're not um, they do not have AIs that are also in that the the hive, the collective, is made up of individual minds that are all linked. There's no extra layer of artificial intelligence on that, just pooled biological intelligence, right? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, this this that podcast could be four hours long. I, I mean, I think, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I believe for the, for the majority of Trek, it's painted as you know humanoid people who are assimilated and networked together. Basically, yeah, you could make an argument that. Uh, whatever the Borg Queen is could possibly be some yeah. form of artificial intelligence because she has multiple bodies and multiple copies, but she's uh, always the same person. So, I mean, there, there's there's a real question as to what the Queen is because she is the thing that ultimately, you know, she's introduced way, 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 way later. Um, yeah. But she's well, introduced yeah, she shows as up in Voyager a lot, yeah, yeah, and she's introduced as kind of an admin layer to to the Borg collective, which you know makes sense. But but yeah, I think and you know the Voyager theories, yes, which yeah, are some yeah, of my favorite yeah. theories. Man, those are good. I'm glad that came out, man. Those are <laughs> those are some good theories. It's the only thing that makes the motion picture watchable for me. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest with you. But yeah, I mean, there's but but that's that kind of goes back to my point, though, right? Is that a lot of these questions you can logically ask from this episode or any Borg episode, and I think they're very clever to answer certain questions and then leave others open-ended enough to where you can, you know, a fan theory like that is plausible. Or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the question of, uh, is there any AI involved in, you know, well, maybe. And it's it's not a cheat either, right? It, it's it's what Riker did when he saw a nursery. He said, well, obviously these they had these children. Um, he's he's guessing, he's layering his own experiences right. on these new experiences. So yep. if they get something wrong here or they, they leave something out, that's just part of this. Uh, they, they don't talk about it because they don't know. Right. And and so. they're not afraid, uh, I think, with the Borg, to let them remain mysterious. And I, and I do think that's the secret sauce of any any adversary, right? Is that you can never know them absolutely, um, because if you do, they cease to become intimidating. You know, it's sure. it's the unknown. Sure. I think that that's more intimidating. That's more scary. Um, well, there's always more. Your imagination is always going to be scarier than a concrete idea. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it, anything you leave mysterious is always going to then be left to the viewer, the individual, um, which is cool. Yeah. And I think it, I think the complexity of the Borg lends lends that um, that pool to be deeper than most villains. You know, ultimately, if you run into a, uh, the same villain enough times, you'll they'll kind of start to you know be less mysterious. And I feel like the Borg always have more tricks up their sleeve that there's always more stuff that you don't know about them because you just you can't you can't know everything about them they're they're pretty fast um now but, i have a question oh sorry i know we're, we're trying to wrap up here but i it comes out out of what you just said i know i know it changes with voyager and the introduction of seven and not seven of nine and all that mm-hmm. but yeah. for a while like if i'm not mistaken the borg were really saved for kind of special occasions right is there a bad Borg episode or is that something you're going to have to tackle down the line hmm. in next generation or in, in next generation? Well, I think once you get the Voyager, it, uh, I mean, they get used a lot more. So no, I wouldn't not, be, I mean, it's still late, right? They, they, they have Borg encounters early, but seven doesn't show up till maybe fifth or sixth season. Mm-hmm. Fifth. I want to say, um, I've never finished Voyager. I'm sorry. <laughs> Which is good. Um, but, There's uh, they okay. use seven. They yeah. use seven quite well there, but in TNG, I don't remember one that I dislike. No, there Please. are there are six total uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation episodes, uh, and, and that's it. it. Well, and a movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, because yeah. there's the stuff with. Well, there's obviously the stuff that's coming up the cliffhanger, um, but then there's the stuff with Hugh, and then there's the stuff with Lore, right? Hugh, who? Q, Q, <laughs> yes, and Paul, that's Q, it. Who? That's all of them. That's that's the entirety of the. Okay, the board and I like all those. So yeah. Okay. And and this is actually that's a pretty raised, good batting record. Yeah. <laughs> you've raised a really good point though, um, because Jacob, uh, I found in the notes of Q Who, um, from this early level of development, um, the producers of the show stated that they did not want to overuse the Borg. Um, they said that the Borg would be a villain that would only appear very infrequently because they wanted they wanted them to remain nearly impossible to defeat. And if they show up all the time, eventually you have to find a way to to to, to defeat them. 
And basically every time within Next Generation, they just barely squeak by because they find something that uh, that gets them out. Yeah. I mean, know? it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, here it's Q. It's not them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the cliffhanger stuff is th- them. But then Hugh is a very different take on how to fight a war and the um, sort of moral quandaries of fighting a war. And then the lore stuff is all data and lore. Yep. Yep. Right. So, so they never solve the Borg problem. They, they're, nope. they're, they remain threatening, um, which I think is also, um, yeah, gosh, we could have a whole, we could have a whole supplementary podcast about the Borg. Maybe that's, uh, <laughs> if we ever start fundraising, that could be a stretch goal. <laughs> Just have a, a Borg mega cast. There we go. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I always, I always thought that, so I had not watched Voyager until very recently too. And I always, in my mind had remembered Voyager as something that was the, the series that took care of the Borg and just dealt with the Borg all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first few seasons, the Borg are very um, rare there too. Uh, yeah. At a certain point they get to Borg space and then they become more frequent, but um, yeah, they use them judiciously okay. Uh, okay. there as well. I would say. Yep. They have to, I, I believe. Um, yeah. There's a whole explanation as to how they do that, but they kind of, the first episode where they're in Borg space, they actually wind up getting catapulted beyond Borg space so that they're not just doing yep. a whole season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to get through Borg yeah. space. Yeah, they're like, oh man, it's going to take a decade to get through Borg space. And then they do some stuff and they're like, we're through Borg space. Hooray! Because <laughs> otherwise they would be dead <laughs> or assimilated. Um, but I think that's, uh, that's Q-Who, I think. Unless we have any closing thoughts, I think it's time to render a verdict. Well, I just want to thank you guys because I, I did... When I saw Q, I was doing Q Who, I was like, great, a Q episode. I didn't realize I was doing the first episode with Sonia Gomez. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thanks thanks again for allowing me to be a part of it. Yep, yep. This is, we, oh, we said it, you know, you're a very special guest. We're not going to let just oh, anybody man. be here for the premiere of the Sonia Gomez. I mean, it's. Uh, can, I, can I also say, so the this episode from a, from a very high level almost reads like the pilot to Voyager, right? A very powerful creature comes, throws them really far away, and then it's just, like, if Picard didn't eat his humble pie at the end, it's the Voyager pilot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, kind of. I mean, they're they're two and a half years away from a starbase, not 70. but 70. But, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's two seasons. Yeah, that's the the idea. That's the broad strokes idea i that's, wonder if that um, did click someone's brain i was like that's a I'm, show I'm, yeah that's, i'm yeah. i'm betting that somebody did that it, that somebody that had watched this somebody in that production line was like you know if we just made that 70 years instead of two and a half we could make that work yeah what if they don't make it back yeah absolutely um okay so what do we think thumbs up thumbs down is this one we add to the the essential watch list or is this one that uh we should warp right on by jacob what do you say uh yeah you have to see it it's the, it's the yeah. first episode with so, the Borg. The, uh, yeah, and the Borg are cool. So, yeah, see it. Yep. Paul, what say you? Yeah, this is this is a fait accompli, right? This, mm-hmm. <laughs> we were always going to say watch this. Yeah. <laughs> I think in watching it and rewatching it, it's a thumbs up for me, too. I think uh, I, I'm really excited about I want to – I'm not really going to, but I kind of want to go out and write some fanfic now because it's just like the <laughs> – this is such a this is such an introduction. Can Sonia Gomez be in your fanfic? Yeah, yes, definitely. absolutely. We're gonna we're gonna fix the the, the real screw job they did for for <laughs> Sonia Gomez, where she's gonna oh, be I captaining see. her own ship uh, here real soon. <laughs> <laughs> fighting. Well, the Borg. it is. It, boy, it is interesting that if you've seen a ton of episodes with the Borg and you go back and watch this, there's a lot here. There's yeah. there's a lot here that that I had forgotten. That yeah, it's yeah. a good episode. Yep, Sonia Gomez and the Baby Planet. Right, Burns. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well, another stretch goal for us if we ever start I think fundraising. It's boss, boss Baby Two. <laughs> boss right. Baby Two, you're assimilated too. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Two who? Two. Boss who? Baby Two, resistance is futile. Jacob, uh, if uh, people want to find more so about you uh, on the internet, uh, where is a good place for them to do so? Yeah, I co-host a, a podcast called Filmcast Without a Cause. We're on a sort of a, a hiatus at the moment as uh, my co-host is going through paternity leave, but we will be back probably by the time this episode drops. And we are currently doing a summer of trauma, doing trauma films, including The Toxic Avenger 
and uh, I don't know if we're going to survive it. They're quite terrible, and we're not a bad movie podcast. We're not one of those that does the riffing on the on the bad films. But uh, it's been we last time we did Herzog, and before that the French New Wave. Uh, trauma, trauma is wearing me down, and it was my idea, <laughs> so I have no one to blame but myself. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I remember new, when you new, guys new first film releases said, as well. Yeah, I remember when you guys first said it was the summer of trauma. I just went. Oh dear! <laughs> I don't know if anyone's listening to those episodes, but uh, playing along. But the the thing was, they're all on YouTube. Like Troma is very liberal with uh, putting their stuff out there, so it was cheap. Wow! <laughs> and I didn't feel nice. like renting a bunch of stuff over the summer, so yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, if you, uh, I just went to YouTube and I typed in Troma and Troma movies. Uh, they have nine hundred and nine videos listed. Um, so. <sighs> That's a big yeah. collection right there. Yep. Uh, <laughs> they're all quality, too. Um, nice. Tromeo and Juliet nearly, nearly killed me. I, I don't... <laughs> that, that's the, the writing debut of James Gunn of Guardians of the Galaxy fame. So some crossover, I suppose, with people's interest with this film. But that movie's got terrible. Uh, it's like the the film equivalent of those netted shirts people wore in the 90s. Like, oh, wow. mid to late 90s. Like... <laughs> uh it's it's garbage, <laughs> but uh, but thanks for having me on. And uh, I, now that I've scared people away from my podcast, they should still check it out. Yeah, and I would say even if you're afraid of the movies, just listen to the commentary because it is. Uh, I I've been listening along as I've been able to uh, to keep up, and it's it's been a lot of fun. So filmcastwithoutacause.com oh. is the place to go Correct. check that out. Uh, until next time, I'm Jason, and I'm Paul. Sonia Gomez lives. Oh my. <laughs> First impressions, right? Isn't that what they say? First impressions are the most important? I'll give you this. It's a meeting the captain won't soon forget.